0: What's up, Church? How are you guys doing this morning? All right, good, good, good. Hey, last week we started a brand new series called Living in the Light of His Return, and so for the next few weeks we're going to be looking at, really diving into, two tiny little letters that we find smack dab in the middle of the New Testament called First and Second Thessalonians. Now these letters are super unique in the fact that Paul, the guy who's writing these letters, right? What he does in these letters is he is connecting the idea of the way that we live our life that is connected with the idea that Jesus is actually returning someday, or the fact that Jesus is going to return. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, last week, we started, we started talking about the backstory of, of these letters. And really, uh, Paul, he's going around from town to town to town, to city to city to city in the Roman Empire, and he's telling, doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? Telling everybody that he possibly can. About Jesus, which had just happened just a few years before, that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and, uh, and then he offers peace and he offers hope. So, you know, the, what we call the gospel or what we call the good news. And so he's, he's doing this and he comes to this huge city called Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was in the Roman Empire, it was a, it was a free city, it was a, it was a huge city, and it was a port city, it, it was rich, and uh, when he gets to this city, uh, he does the same thing, he's telling people about Jesus, and a whole bunch of Greek people and a whole bunch of prominent women, uh, the Bible tells us, actually come and they give their lives over to Jesus, and Paul starts, starts a church. Well, things are okay for just a short amount of time, all right? maybe only just a couple of weeks or so, uh, because the Jewish people and, uh, and the city officials, the city leaders, they don't appreciate this message of some guy named Jesus who they're declaring is, is the real king. Um, that, that he's not, you know, it's a, it's a different king than what Caesar is and so political and just, and so they don't appreciate it. And so they start looking for Paul and they want to, really their end goal is to kill Paul and Paul has to, he has to run away. And he runs away at night um, one day. Uh, but Paul is worried about these people, right? He's worried about this brand new church, these brand new Christians. And, uh, and think about it, he had to leave abruptly, right? And because of that, he had... Had time to to put leaders in place and, and build leaders up. He hadn't had much time to teach. And the Christians that were there are also being persecuted and oppressed by the people within the city. And so Paul, he's got no idea how these people are doing. He's got no idea what's happened to them. And he probably fears the worst. I mean, it's not like he could just, you know, get his cell phone and call them up and say, hey, you know, how you guys doing? Or send them an email or do whatever. You know, he couldn't do that back then. And so he doesn't know if they're dead or alive. He doesn't know if they've been wiped out. He doesn't know if they've gone back to worshiping fake gods and, and idols and stuff like that. And so Paul one day sends this young man who's about mid-20s. His name's Timothy. Paul sends Timothy to Thessalonica to check in on them. And then Paul waits for months. How many of you guys really love waiting? <laughs> Nobody does. Right? Paul, again, he, he wants to know if these people are still alive or have they all been slaughtered or what. And so he waits for months to hear this news. And so Timothy, he eventually, months later, he makes his way back to Paul. And Timothy's got some really, really, really great news. And not only that, but it sounds like Timothy actually has a letter that the Thessalonian people actually wrote to Paul with just some you know, some questions uh, about Christianity. Because, again, they hadn't had much time to, to hear Paul's teaching and to learn. And so they had some questions, especially about this whole Jesus coming back you know, idea or Jesus coming back situation. So... Paul one day decides to sit down and write this brand new young church a letter, a short letter. These people that he loved, these people that he cared for, these people that he's been wondering about and thinking about and worried about for months, that's the letter of 1 Thessalonians, okay? That's where we're at. And so Paul starts off, like what we talked about last week, he starts off praising these people. I mean, he's just like, hey, you guys get it. All right, I wish more people would get it in our, in our church here in Tiffin. He's like, you guys get it. These people, all right? what Timothy comes back and it's part of the good news that Timothy has for Paul. He's like, man, Paul, these people are killing it. Like these people are, they're telling everybody that they can about Jesus and, uh, and they're, they're spreading the word. In fact, Timothy says these people, like the good news of what Jesus has done is literally ringing out from Thessalonica. ringing out from this city, even though they're being oppressed by the city officials and people within the city. And so Paul, he's super proud of them. He, he's this is very unexpected. And so Paul's just like, hey man, you guys, this is how he starts off his letter. He says, you guys are bringing me joy. Like you guys get me pumped up. Like this is, this is you guys are doing just so, so, so well. And so for the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, we see that Paul, man, he's just excited. Right, he's so happy. He's, he's so full of joy. And he tells them, hey, you guys are doing great. Then he tells them a little bit about him. He's like, remember I did this. And then, and then he's like, and you guys are doing great again. And, and all these people know, all right, remember, um, he, hasn't, he hasn't really had much time to teach. And so really that's what he starts in chapter 4. He begins to teach. And that's what we're going to look at today. But, uh, but these people, he had not had much time teaching. So all these people know is basically the basics, All these people know is that it's the basics of Christianity, that God, he wrapped himself in a body, that he came down to earth. He was born literally like in a barn, and then we put him to death. He spent 33 years trying to show himself to people, and then we put him to death, all right? Not just any type of death. We put him to death on a cross. Like we as humans, we did that. But on that cross, God used that terrible, horrible, evil thing for good, because on that pro- cross, God actually poured out His wrath and His uh, and His punishment that we, all of us, including myself, rightfully and justly deserve, because we are all sinners and we are all messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people. Okay, and so He's saying, um, you know, this is what they know. And so God poured out His wrath on Himself, and giving us the chance to start a relationship with Him, so that we can be get, so that we can be forgiven. Three days later, he rose again from the grave because death couldn't stop him. And now he wants a relationship with us someday. And he's coming back, you know, and he, he's coming back someday as well. And so this is what the people know. This is all just, this, that's basic Christianity right there in a nutshell. And so Paul decides to spend part of this letter teaching them. And he starts off, remember, saying, hey, you guys are doing great. But then in chapter four, verse one, he says, hey, additionally, I got, I got some more stuff for you. He says, brothers and sisters, we ask and we encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God. Now, I just want to throw this out there. I just want to stop here for one second. This is the end goal right here. We get this? Pleasing God. Right, that's, the, that's our goal. Um, that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. That's our main goal. It's not pleasing ourselves. Now, this is what we usually live our lives trying to do. This is what we build our lives up. Like, we think our main goal is, like, for ourselves, like, peace and prosperity. This is just how we all live, all right? That is not the end game. Not for us as Christians, at least. That is not our end game. Peace and prosperity is actually just the overflow of our relationship with God. See, our goal is not peace and prosperity. It's not living the American dream and having that nice house and and that nice car someday and and having a good family and and comfort and we want health and we don't want to be in pain and just all this stuff. That's, That's not the main goal, right? Our goal is actually a fixed relationship with our creator that we technically don't deserve. And out of that fixed relationship flows peace and prosperity. See, the end goal is God himself, not what God can give us. I mean, God is our peace. See, too many times I feel like we, as, as Christians, and really the world in, just in general, but especially, you know, especially us, we, we, have, we have our sights set on the wrong goal. Our sights are, hey, when I'm 80 years old, this is what I want for my life, and this is, you know, this is what I want to accumulate, and this is the relationships that I want to have. And that's, I'm not saying that's, all, that's, that's bad stuff. I'm saying that's not our main stuff. It's not the main goal here. Our main goal is a fixed relationship with God. Our main goal is to please God. And so Paul, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you guys are doing really good, but you're not done. He says, as you are doing. So you want to please God as you're doing. You guys are doing great. You're actually doing this even though you're a young church, even though you're being oppressed by all these people around you. And then he says, do this even more. He's saying, you're not done. You're doing great. Great. But we all need to try to do better. Like for us, in our life, right, we need to strive to align our lives with Jesus even more. It's always even more. We get that? Yeah. Do even more, even more, even more. We're, we're, we're the best person in Tiffin, Ohio. Paul's saying, do even more, okay? That's the issue. See, as Christians, um, we all do this. <laughs> we fall into the tendency of thinking we're pretty good. You know, we all do that. Like if I were to ask you, hey, are you a good person? You know, we'd be like, well, yeah, yeah I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I think I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, I helped this guy. I smiled at this person that one time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty friendly. I'm generally a friendly guy. You know, I did a favor for this person at work, and so they owe me. But you know what? I'm not even going to collect on that. They could just, I just did that for them. And so we walk around, and this is kind of how we naturally think, whether we realize it or not. But we start walking around, and we start going, you know what? God, I hope you're watching me do this for this person that I can't really stand, but I'm doing it anyway because I'm trying to be a good person, you know? Um, Because I think this is pretty impressive. Like, we're going, I think God, this is what we start to naturally think, I think God is impressed with my good stuff. But the reality is, none of us are truly good. We're not really good. Right? Like, if there's anything that you hear today, this is what I want you to understand. You are not good, okay? I am not good. We all have issues, big issues. Like we naturally gravitate towards doing wrong. Every single one of us is called a sin in nature. That's what the Bible calls it. Uh, too often we care for only about ourselves. It's called selfishness. Not good. Right? We have pride in our life. We, we just have all this stuff in our life. And, and some of us, were so far removed from this reality that we just need a gut check sometimes, I think. Like, you need to check yourself here. See, for me, I've, I've said this many times, but in my personal relationship with Jesus, the closer I get with God, the more I realize how far from God I am. Does that make sense? It's kind of the opposite of what we think. We think, hey, we get closer with God and we're going to be closer. No, no. The closer I get with God, the more I realize how evil and messed up I am. I'm so far from God's standard. By the way, that's the whole point of Jesus' is coming. We get this? All right, that's the whole point of the Bible. The whole point is that we couldn't fix our situation. There's not enough good that we could possibly do for God to look at us and say, wow man, that's pretty good. That's not reality. Like, that does not happen. There's, we couldn't do enough good to fix our situation, so he had to. See, when we become a Christian, okay, which isn't everybody in this room, okay, some of us, we're, we're seeking, we're searching, we're trying to figure this out, all Right? When we become a Christian, we put our trust not into ourselves and our quote-unquote goodness, but into what Jesus did, When he was on the cross, when he paid for all all of our sin. That's what we put our trust in. And because of that, we are saved from the penalty or the punishment of our sin, which is really good. And even the icing on the cake is, God says, not only do you not have to pay for everything you've ever done wrong, which is actually just. He's like, not only do you have to pay that because I paid for it. He's saying, hey, you also get to live in heaven for like eternity. Okay, so that's pretty sweet. I'm a big fan of that. And so he's saying, hey, and you're guaranteed that you get to be with God someday. And so positionally, check this out. This is is teaching. This is like seminary right here. Positionally, we are holy and righteous before God. Okay? Like God looks at us, and he sees Jesus' holiness. But experientially, we still sin. Like we still experience sin in our life. And that's a problem. And this is what Paul is hinting towards when he says even more. See, when we become a Christian, it's really a process. When we become a Christian, we actually begin the process of becoming more like Jesus and living for Jesus. And this process is a super theological word that many, maybe you guys have heard of before. Probably a lot of you guys have, but people might not know what it means. It's this, it's this word that we call sanctification, okay? Pretty good word, pretty big word you know, churchy word. Um, but all sanctification is, it's is, is the process of when we become a Christian, we start separating ourselves from our sin, and we actually become more like God. We don't become God, all right? Some of you guys think you are God. You're not, all right? All right? We become more like God, and it's a process. This isn't something that just happens uh, overnight, I was trying to think this week, yesterday, I'm like, how do I explain this, because it's a little complicated, and this is what I came up with, so we're all going to live with it, so we'll see if this makes any sense to anybody, but it's kind of like this. The Bible says that once we become a Christian, God looks at us, and, because um, he paid for everything that we've ever done wrong when we give our lives over to him, and God looks at us, and we are clean, and we are pure, and we, are, we have Jesus's righteousness and Jesus's holiness, okay? This is what we got. So he looks at us, and he sees Jesus' righteousness and holiness. He doesn't see all our grime and our dirt and our sin that we all have in our life, because every single one of us are sinners. But, so positionally, we're set. Positionally, we're good, and that doesn't change. That's, that's, that's for eternity. But experientially, we are messed up, grimy, dirty people. Like, like our hearts are sinful, our hearts are messed up. So positionally, or experientially, let me say, we are, we are messed up, okay? We're dirty, not something you wanna drink, you know? It's, it's, it's not good. And so sanctification is the process where Paul, he's telling us, hey, you have to get rid of the bad stuff in your life. And so we start pouring that out, and it's a process, right? This takes time, and this takes effort, and this takes energy. And, uh, but God, when we become a Christian, so we start that process, God, he actually starts pouring into our life. In fact, we get the Holy Spirit in our life, which is cool, right? God actually moves in to our life. And so we keep doing this process. It's work. It takes effort. It's something that takes, it takes time. But we keep going and going and going, and eventually our lives get more and more, I spilt, more and more cleared up. And so we keep going, we keep going, we do this several times, and, uh, and eventually, it's, it's wet up here, yeah. <laughs> Who filled these buckets? They're, they're filled high. <laughs> but check this out. Eventually, we become a lot clearer as time progresses, we become a lot cleaner and clearer than we were before. Does that make sense? All right, now let me explain one thing to you. There's a difference between what the Bible teaches, which is a personal relationship with Jesus, and what religions, all religions in general teach. Okay? Those are there's a difference there. Religion teaches us or how I define religion Religion teaches us, hey, you need to do all this good stuff. You need to follow this list of rules. You need to do this, 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 this. And then you become clean enough that God looks at you and says, I'll accept it. You know, or God looks at you and says, I could forgive that. I'll, I'll wipe that off. That's, that's clean enough. Okay? That's what religion is. That is not what the Bible teaches. All right? We feel like we need to clear this up and become good, better, better, and better, and better, so that someday we can become clear or as clear as possible. Someone we could get positionally right, correct in our lives. The, the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. The Bible says it's the other way around. The Bible says, hey, we are sinful, jacked up, messed up people, and so we go to God and we start that relationship with Him. God clears us. Positionally, we are set, but experientially, because we are positionally set, we want to start cleaning up our lives. We clean up our lives, we try to do good because of what God's done for us. We don't try to do good so that hopefully God will do something for us. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a difference there. It's one goes one way, one goes the other way. And so um, this is huge and this is something that we gotta understand because there's church even churches that call themselves Christian, you know, teach that, hey, you gotta do this, you gotta go to church, you gotta give, you gotta, you know, um, you gotta take communion you got to be baptized you got to confess you got to do all this stuff so that you can win God's favor impossible can't happen God's never going to be impressed with our good stuff it's never going to be clean enough and so that's what happens it's actually the opposite way and it's the process of sanctification the process of doing like what Paul says even more we keep going we keep going we keep going now notice one more thing is that while this is way clearer than it was, it's not even close to, the, you know, to where Jesus is, right, when it comes to righteousness and holiness, okay? As we become more righteous, in a sense, and more holy on this side of our life, meaning on this side of heaven, maybe that's a better way to put it, we will never be perfect, okay? But we should be getting better. See, that's the process, That Paul's trying to get us to understand. He's saying, you won't be be perfect, but it's something that you keep working on and keep working on and keep working on. Actually, the next verse, he says, uh, says, for you to know what commands, uh, let's go to the next verse. Okay. He says, for this is God's will. He's like, this is God's will. You ever um, hang around sometimes, you're you're trying to think, maybe you got some important decision in your life that you're like trying to figure out God's will? When you're like, God, what do you want me to do? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I do this? Should I do that? Anybody ever do that? Yeah. Or do you not care? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know what God's will necessarily is for your life in like certain uh, situations. Uh, but the one thing that we do know is that it is God's will it is for our sanctification. Okay? God's will is for us to do this process over and over and over again and spend our lives doing that, okay, that's God's will, so now you know that, so good job, okay, cool, so he's saying, hey, God's will is for your sanctification, for your process, and then what Paul does, very interesting here, is he points out maybe one of the things that, uh, that we in our culture specifically and the people in the Thessalonian culture were dealing with that was kind of messing up this process that was getting in the way, which was, he says, sexual immorality, he says, this is what you need to do, keep away, it's like a warning here, from sexual immorality. Now, we've actually talked about this recently, what sexual immorality actually is and what that, and what that looks like. Um, we talked about how the word actually used here is this Greek word called pornea, it's where we get the word pornography from, and literally, pornea here, it means, it's like the junk drawer of sex, right? We all got a junk drawer at home, it's got a whole bunch of things in there. Um, all kinds of different stuff. It's not like one thing. This is like the junk drawer of sex, and it includes a little bit of everything when it comes to sexual sin in there. And so basically, this word pornea is anything sexual except God's design for sex, which, by the way, the Bible tells us clearly is one man and a a woman only in a marriage relationship, okay? That's That's what God's design for sex is, meaning that the Bible is saying that sex is for married people, not, uh, not used to be married, not want to be married, not will get going to be married. It's, it's only for married people. And anything sexual outside of a marriage relationship is pornea. Okay? So it's a broad term. Anything sexual outside the marriage relationship is pornea. So God's will is for us to continue and progress through the process of sanctification. And to do that, Paul's like, whoa, you gotta watch out. Keep away. From, from pornea or keep away from sexual immorality. Now, this word keep away, um, it's really a strong word. It's not like, uh, it's not like avoid. Like, you know, you go to the store, you're at Walmart or something and you see somebody who's like a real big talker and you don't want to get into a long conversation and it's just uncomfortable. And so what do you do? You go to the next aisle and you avoid them. You guys do this. Don't act like you don't. All guilty of this. Um, but uh, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, hey, yeah, just go to the other aisle or go to a different section so your chances of running into them become less. This, this, it's not nearly severe enough, what he's talking about. This is more like cut it out, okay? This is like cancer. He's like, what you need to do is you need to take a knife and you need to cut this out of your life. It's a big deal. And then Paul explains what he means by that. He gives us some examples. He's like, for example... Each of you, you need to know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. You've got to be able to control yourself. He says, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles or the people who don't know God. He's like, not like them. He says, this means that one must not transgress against or take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Now, probably most of us in here, we're looking at this and we're thinking, eh, I'm pretty good with this. All right, Paul's worried about this. I'm not worried about this. I think i got a pretty good handle On uh, not doing the whole pornea thing. Um, You know, we think, hey, you know, I'm not the guy who's going to cheat on my spouse, or I'm not the woman who's going to cheat on my husband. Uh, But then we go and we spend time entertaining fantasies about people who are not our spouse. Not good. But then we go and we flirt with him or her at work or in the office all week. But then we go and we play around online with either pornography or we, uh, you know, maybe it's even more than that, with like feelings oriented. We go on Facebook. We start looking them up. We start entertaining these feelings that we have. We want to know all about their life and and just stuff like that. And so we're entertaining those feelings. And so here, Paul's getting real here, people. All right, he's getting, he's getting real. See, again, just like what we're dealing with in our culture, the Thessalonians were dealing with the same issues that we are today. They were living just like us in a sex-centered culture. And Paul's like, man, that's going to mess you up. That's going to mess up this process. It's going to cause problems. And then he tells us why it matters. He says, this is why it matters. Because the Lord is an avenger. Now, this isn't like, you know, superhero avenger type stuff, right? I know some of you guys are like, what, really? You know, phase four? Okay. Um, no, this is, uh, you know, this is not like that. By the way, if he was an avenger, he'd definitely be the strongest avenger, for sure. But, uh, but Jesus is not one of those. He's saying, um, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and we warned you about, See, Paul's not, he's not talking about physical or relationship, relational consequences that are going on here that, that happen because of pornea in our life, right? Which happen, right? Which are true. It's just not what he's referring to right here. What Paul's doing, he's referring to something more important. He's referring to, he's, what he's doing is he's looking down the road. He's saying, hey, here's the deal. So what we got to understand is that someday God's going to judge us. Think about that. Like, like we don't think about that much. God's going to judge us. By the way, that is certain. Like, that is fixed. That is more certain than tomorrow morning coming. That's something that we can't, you know, there's no escaping that. And by the way, as people, all of us, whether Christian or not Christian, like, that should freak us out a little bit. Like, God is gonna judge you Based on how you have lived your life. Like that should, that should that should bother us. I don't know, that shouldn't sit necessarily well. And so every single one of us on the planet, we will all be judged first on whether or not we put our trust and we start that relationship with Jesus, right? This is our this is where we're at positionally. Are we positionally set? Are we positionally good? And then those of us who have started that relationship and are Christians and given our lives over to Jesus, then we are judged based on how we lived that life. We're then judged based on experientially, based on what we've experienced, based on what we've done with our life. And so Paul, what he's doing is he's writing it to a church, right? They're positionally set. Like, these people are positionally good. Um, but what they do and how we live our life, it still matters, and we're gonna be judged on it. Like, we're literally gonna stand before God on an individual basis, and we're gonna to have to answer for how we lived our life. Did that should freak you out? It freaks me out a little bit. Okay, next verse. He's like, that's the why. He says, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. He says, consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He's like, by the way, um, if you don't like this, you know, you're not rejecting him. You're not rejecting Paul. You're not rejecting me as your pastor, as I'm telling you this, because you're like, "Eh, I don't really buy all this. You're not rejecting me, so, you know, who cares what I think? You're rejecting your creator. Big deal. He's saying that's that's what's going on. Um, Then he throws out this warning, even though... These people are are doing really good. He he goes on. He says in the next verse, by the way, about brotherly love. Now, look what he's doing here. He's just got done explaining how not to love. Actually, he's just got done explaining how, you know, how the world tells us to love, how, you know, sex and all that stuff's okay, and if you really love them, like, like that's what you should do, even though you're not married, even though, you know, that's what the world tells us. He's like, no, that's not love, right? What you're doing there is you're actually only living to please yourself that's what's going on you're not living to please them you're living to please yourself and so he's saying don't love like that pornea that's not the type of love that you're supposed to have and God's by the way you're gonna have to answer to that so good luck with that he's saying no 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 here's how you love is brotherly love and he's saying this is key he's making a transition here he's like that's how not to love this is how you are to love he says you don't need me to even write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another he's like you guys are doing so good on this I don't even have to explain what I mean here. He's like, you guys just, we are to just love one another. Like, that's how we are to live our life. This is the key to living life right. This is the key to the sanctification process. He says, you know, don't use, take advantage of each other. Don't spend our time chasing peace and prosperity for ourselves. Don't chase or waste our time trying to get more stuff. See, Paul's like, no, no, no. We focus on loving others. That's how we live our life. And then in the next verse, he says, in fact, man, you guys are doing this. He's already told them they're doing a good job. He's like, you guys are doing this towards all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. We talked about this last week. This is like their state or province that Thessalonica is in. He's like, man, not only, I mean, if he was writing to us and we were doing a really good job here in Tiffin, he'd be like, not only are you guys doing this in Tiffin, but man, you guys are showing love to everybody in this entire state of Ohio. I'm very impressed with that. You know, it's it's that type of thing. He says, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this. What are the words again? Even more. Right. Yeah. He's like, but you're not done. Keep Going. This is a process, the sanctification process. Next verse, he says, and then and then real quick, he he pulls back and he gives us three ways, practical ways to do this. All right. So he's like, this, this is what I mean. This is what I mean by loving even more. This is the things you got to work on. He says, number one, seek to lead a quiet life. Okay. These words that it's really hard, and as we're reading this in English and. Um, but these guys, Thessalonians, they're reading this in Greek, and it's interesting the play on words of what Paul does here. Uh, the word seek is actually a really energetic word. Um, it's like kind of electric. It's you know, it's like go, 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 run, 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 run. And then you got the word quiet, which is a very non-energetic word. And so what Paul's doing, he's kind of doing a play on words that we don't necessarily recognize here in our culture, is he's saying, hey, you need to run, you need to go, you need to go, 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 run, 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 run to live a quiet life. You know, that's what he's doing. And so he's like, that's number one. Number two, you need to mind your own business. Some of you guys are like, amen to that. You know what I mean? You all know those people, okay? He's like, mind your own business. Stop getting into everybody's life and everybody's affairs and start, you know, you work on you. And then he says, number three, go work with your hands as we encourage you. He says, so that you may behave properly. These are the reasons so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So Paul is saying, here's what I want you to do. This is what I want you to work on. He's saying, he's saying this is what love looks like, all right? Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work. And then why? Number one, so we have a good reputation Outsiders, meaning people who aren't yet Christians, people who aren't yet giving their lives over to Jesus, which should be our number one thing. We want to help people do that, just if we have found that hope and forgiveness. Uh, but number two, he's like, so we won't be dependent on anybody else. This is really focused on financially. It it's kind of funny as I was thinking through this. Um, you know, I'm looking at him like, we kind of do this the opposite way of what, you know, it's just how we think. Like, how do we show love for others? You know, a lot of us, it's like, I need to know everything about them. I need to be all in their life. I need to help them with this. I need to do this. Even though if they didn't ask me for help, we have to do, all, do, 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 do all this stuff. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Actually, if you would, mind your own business. You know, isn't that funny to me? I don't know. It's funny to me. He's like, no, no, don't live your life that way. Now, some of us in here, we take the opposite extreme, right? meaning we are secluded, right? We sit in our chair at home all week, all day, watching TV, and we only talk to our inner circle, and we don't talk to anybody else. That's not good either. That's not what Paul means here. I see some of you guys looking at each other. I'm like, dang, all right? Like, it's you, all right? Don't kick their seat or anything like that. All right, they they get it. But uh, Paul's like, no, that's not what I mean either. He's saying, don't be nosy. Don't be a gossip. Don't be, he's saying, just mind your own business. Work on you. Live a quiet life and work. Actually, you want to know how the sanctification process is going on in your life? How well do you do these things? Like, rather than being controlled by sexuality and pornea in our life and, and Taking advantage of of others and trying to please ourselves. Instead of doing all that, how well do you live a quiet life, mind your own business, and work? That's a big one, right? Work. See, some of us, not so well. Paul's saying the way that we live our life, it matters. And then next week, we're going to look at why it matters. Because what Paul's going to do is he's going to finally connect these two ideas. He's going to connect the, the, the way that we live our life with the fact that Jesus is coming back. And we're going to look at what that's going to look like, and it's kind of crazy. You know, what's that look like? What's that mean for us? We're going to look at all that next week. And so Paul, he's saying, hey, way we live our life, Jesus returning someday, the end of the world type thing. He's like, these things are connected. It's connected. But this week, today, right now, I want us just to ask ourselves, like, how do you live your life? You know, where are you at in this sanctification process? How dirty is your heart, you know? Are you progressing? See, God's not necessarily after our perfect perfection, but he is after our progress. And we should be progressing with that process in our lives and it matters. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, these words. We, God, man, our lives are messed. We are just messed up people. And you know that. And you chose to die for us anyway, Lord. And we thank you so much for that because we do not deserve that. God, we ask that um, you would help us as we go in this week. I mean, we go home even today. That you would help us to really examine and really focus on how we live our life. God, help us to become more like you. Help, help us to start picking out those things in our life and keeping away. Help us to get, be removing them from our life. And we know, God, that you're also working in us. And we thank you for that. God, we ask you for this in Jesus' name.